Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes of public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the finest service organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. I'm your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, Ken Bader, and this is part two of Within the Trenches with Ricardo Martinez II. I hear you on the fatigue just from a vicarious standpoint. I've never done your job, so I can only uh, look at it from a vicarious standpoint. But I would think, and please comment on this, it seems as though over the last decade or so, maybe give or take, um, 911 professionals have been raised up to the level of other public safety professionals. Even the civilian workers, employees of police departments, fire departments, and so forth, at one time they were kind of thought of as lesser, but a lot of places I see now, it's like, hey, you're part of the team just like everybody else. You know, maybe you're not uh, running into burning buildings or fixing broken bones, you know, out on the middle of the street or shooting at bad guys. But, you know, you're dealing with things that, that everybody else is dealing with as well, and we wouldn't be able to do it. I think that that same thought has gone to 911 professionals and that you know you, you may not be out there in the danger but you're listening to the danger and mentally you're getting bombarded with this every single day uh have you are you finding that as well that the respect for lack of a better way of putting it for 911 operators has gone up considerably over the last number of years yeah yeah definitely i, I it has it has changed because uh, you know there's there's definitely been a, a, a big awakening, if you will, on what it is that you know nine one dispatchers and call takers go through. Uh, like I've said on, on a daily basis, the the calls I've always I've always said that taking a nine one call, at least for me, and I remember thinking this in my head, was <laughs> taking a nine one one call sometimes, especially if it's a high priority one, is like getting into a car slamming on the gas and letting go of the steering wheel because it is, it can be chaotic and there's so much that's going on. Um, you know, some of those you could almost even compare to an accident because the amount of impact that it can have on you right off the bat and later on, it can be severe or it could be minor, but a lot of those, uh, those calls stick with you. I have a number of calls that stick with me that even, you know, now, you know, I've been out of dispatch for, I think I'm going on, yeah, I'm going on eight years now. This July will be eight years that I've been out of dispatch. But a lot of those calls, depending on certain things that I see are still kind of a trigger sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, watching, I love true crime as well. So <laughs> when, when the, uh, um, when the 911 calls play, depending on what it is, like if it's a domestic one, I'll go, I'll, I'll start to slip back and think about some of the calls I took. Yeah. I'm like, damn. And, you know, so some of those stick with me, but with, um, you know, a lot of information that's going out as well, you know, podcasts, shows, whichever, they're really highlighting um, what 911 and call takers do. And that respect is, is definitely the respect and recognition and saying, yeah, you know, you all are part of the team. You know, we always have been really, it just, mm -hmm wasn't out there enough for people to really recognize the amount of work that goes into this job. Yeah. 
Yeah, thinking as somebody who's never been in public safety, but obviously has worked with a number of public safety professionals and has the utmost respect for the job everybody does, it seems like everybody has a different type of stress and danger. Um, obviously, you know, a police officer going into a domestic situation, the danger is really high, but if you can diffuse that, you know, now you have downtime, you, you've diffused it, everybody's okay, we're getting back in the car, you know, maybe we've got, you know, as much as 15 minutes, half hour or more if it's a slow night of downtime, but you may have a domestic call finish with that call and then have a another call to deal with that's just as harsh or even worse without any downtime in between. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that has happened a lot. You know, one time someone asked me what it's like uh, to take a call and I gave him the example of uh, if it being completely busy to where you're the one who's got to juggle between um, different calls. You, the first call that comes in is a personal injury accident. You've got help going out there but you've, you've got one of the, the people that's there, you've got that call, you have to put them on hold to take another call. This call is domestic. This domestic is verbal only. There's no weapons or anything. Another call is coming in and it's that busy that you have to put them on hold as well. After making sure they're separated, you know, there's nothing else going on, you put them on hold. Well, now you got a call where it's a medical and it's CPR. You've already got help that's going out to that accident. So th- that one is basically, you can just, you can let it go because they're going to hang up already, right? Mm-hmm. But you've got that domestic that's there. These people are doing, um, on the medical that you're taking at that time, textbook CPR. There's a certain amount of compressions that they're going to do where you have just that little bit of time to put them on hold and get back because EMS is ready headed that way. Mm-hmm. You go back to the domestic to make sure that everything is good because officers are heading out there. You pick up the phone ask them if everything is okay. Well, now this has got a weapon involved. Yeah. So I asked the person, I was like, who do you stay with? The CPR one or the call where the domestic is now in progress, even more so with a weapon involved. Yeah. I would think EMS the is already going to get out there. Yeah. Yes. The domestic. Yeah. The domestic, you stay with the domestic because now you got to let the officers know, Hey, there's a weapon involved and you're trying to do what you can to get this person who's on the phone to safety until the officers get out there because the other ones are already doing textbook CPR. EMS is probably almost there as it is. They're going to get the help that they need. Uh, so it's, that's, that's what we're doing. You're thinking on your feet and you're triaging all these calls at the same time. And it is sometimes chaos. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's interesting because having uh, worked with a number of police officers over the last almost two decades now uh they'll tell me that they would they they say the same thing or similar things that you're saying about domestic calls is you know give me give me an armed robbery any day (laughs) (laughs) those are straightforward they want money and they want to get away and we know Mm -hmm. exactly what's going on there we have no idea what we're going to deal with in a domestic situation that it's interesting that you're echoing that to a certain extent from the 911 call perspective. Yeah. And, and just even, even from that standpoint as well going on, like any, any other calls, like things can happen or they can change on the fly. And, you know, we were talking earlier about getting all this information and everything else. I took a call once 
Uh, this was actually towards the end of my dispatching career. It was the last week. It seemed like the dispatch gods were sending me every shit call <laughs> to say, hey, you're retiring you're from this job soon. Here, you're getting everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man. That's the way it seemed. And one of those calls started out as a disorderly. It was a disorderly person who had shown up to the house. The caller was like, yeah, he's not here anymore. He showed up. He was throwing things around. He was upset, this and that. And at the very end of the call, she says, I think he's suicidal as well. And I thought, you couldn't, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, because that changes everything. Yeah. So then, you know, I'm, I, I, I had the person's phone number, the vehicle description, all of that information, right? And I hang up with her. I put it in the narrative, but also yell it over at the same time to the person on radios. It's possible that my, my, the guy that we're looking for is suicidal. Get it out there to them, tone it. And I try calling this person because maybe I can get a hold of him, right? Mm. I'm calling, it's ringing, but it's so busy during that time, I have to hang up so that I can get the next call. I get the next call and there's a guy who says, I just saw a car go directly into a tree. And I, I asked him his location. So he gives me the location and I immediately look at the map to see how far it is from the house. And it's not that far. Mm -hmm. So I asked him what the vehicle description is and if he can safely check on the person. And he goes, sir, I don't think there's any way that this person lived. Like I watched him go directly at full speed into that tree. When he gave me the vehicle description, I remember like kind of lipping the vehicle description because I, I just, I could feel it. I just knew it. And it was a blue Toyota Tercel. And I just kind of sat there and I typed over and I yelled over. I said, I think this is my guy. Send him over there. And sure enough, it was, yeah. it was that person. But that, that there was enough impact on that call that when I was, when I was done with it, you know, I had my closure and everything, right? something that dispatchers and call takers don't usually get is closure. Mm -hmm. I knew that this had happened. I knew the outcome. But for me, I started to question if I would have had a different line of questioning, if I would have done yeah. this or that, was there any way I could have maybe gotten a hold of him? So I took like 20 minutes looking at the map, trying to map out the location and going through my line of questioning. And then finally, I just realized, no, there was nothing I could have done. That person had already was already going into that tree as I was trying to call them. There was yeah. nothing I could have done. But that was one of those things, man. Like you take these calls sometimes and you start to, to think, is there anything that I could have done? Like, could I have impacted or affected this any, any other way? And sometimes it sticks with you. But uh, that's one of those. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, my wife works in healthcare, and she doesn't. Mm -hmm. She's not patient facing, but given the organization that she she works with, um, it doesn't happen often. But uh, on a more regular basis than it should, um, there are suicidal calls that happen. They start as customer service, and then eventually they they sometimes de-escalate to a suicide call. And she has to be, she's one of the point people that take those, that step in and have to talk and say, all right, how serious is this? And, and they have their protocol and police gets called right away and, and so forth. But, um, you know, I can only imagine what it's like to be on, on one of those calls. Now a word from our sponsor, the Police Officers Credit Union Association. 
The POCUA can suggest a credit union that serves public safety professionals in practically every state in the country. One state we definitely have covered is Colorado. Rocky Mountain Law Enforcement Federal Credit Union has been serving members of Colorado law enforcement and their families since 1938. They're more than a bank. They're a community united by the thin blue line. For more information about Rocky Mountain Law Enforcement Federal Credit Union, go to www.rmlefcu.org or call 303-458-6660. To find an institution to serve you in any of the other 49 states, go to policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals, and you deserve better. But what's the, the strangest, maybe the funniest, goofiest, uh, even most terrible, I guess, uh, 911 call either you took or heard about through your podcast? So the, the strangest one that I can think <laughs> of, and this is through, yeah, this is definitely through the podcast. So I have, and we'll kind of get into this here in a little bit when we talk about the, the movement and all, but what came from the movement as well is a session that I do um, at different conferences called Imagine Listening. Hmm. And so it's, it's Imagine Listening. The tagline is your worst days are every day. And what Imagine Listening is, is I have uh, dispatchers come in and they share their own personal I am 911 stories. Um, that's for 30 minutes. That can be, you know, kind of, uh, well, not kind of, it is emotionally intense. Hmm. You know, it's, it's pretty much like a peer support type session where they're sharing these hard stories. And if they can't share it out loud, um, they write it down and I read it for them. So it's, it's really, uh, you know, cathartic and everything, you know, therapeutic for people to be able to do that. Again, it's only for the first 30 minutes. The last 30 minutes is called open mic and we share our funny 911 stories. So we start <laughs> out, you know, with the emotional stuff and then we end laughing because I don't want anybody to leave from there sure. feeling, you know, like, really drained instead i want them to feel happy so we share these stories so i was in wisconsin and i was doing this session and uh one of the stories <laughs> that came in uh for the open mic part it was interesting because we're it's it's the funny part but the person who's telling the story starts out with you know i took this call from this guy and and he, he says you know my my friend is not breathing my friend's not breathing and, you know, we're, but the way the person is telling the story is real animated. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we're kind of chuckling, but it's that kind of chuckle where you're like, <laughs> are we, should we be laughing at this? Like, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. And then uh, the person telling the story says, um, you know, the caller then says, it's my baby, my baby, my baby's not breathing. And then I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to edit this because the open mic and imagine listening are also actually episodes that I use on the podcast for mm -hmm. others to hear and to learn from. So I was thinking this isn't going to make the cut because I don't know what's going to happen here. So the person's telling us about this call, how it's a CPR call. She's telling this guy how to do CPR on his baby. There's an officer that's headed out there. And, you know, the, the person telling the story is kind of swearing and stuff. Again, being kind of animated on how the person is talking to her. And then an officer gets out there and says, Central, stop. Stop everyone. Hold everyone. 
and the the person telling the story says all i can think of is what the heck what the heck why why are they stopping this baby's not breathing yeah. this person's baby's not breathing and then the officer gets on the radio and says central it's an iguana <laughs> it's an iguana <laughs> And then, and then the whole because you can hear the person telling the story, and a pin you could hear a pin drop you know, in back of that person who's telling the story because we're all at the edge of our seats. Like, what exactly is going on here? Why is this part of the funny part? And then it gets to that part, and then everyone starts laughing, and the the dispatcher says, "Yeah, you know, I'm I'm taking you know this call," and then he says, "It's iguana." So this whole time, I'm telling this guy how to give CPR on his iguana. This was his baby. This was his friend. Yeah. And we're all like, well, did the iguana make it? And the, <laughs> the dispatcher's like, no, the iguana didn't make it. But, you know, that's what it ended up being was that, you know, I thought we were giving CPR on this person's baby, yeah. but it was an iguana. <laughs> well, did you tell that person maybe if you had done a better job of explaining the CPR, the iguana would have lived? <laughs> the iguana was gone. <laughs> the iguana was probably cold uh, at that point. Yeah, yeah. The iguana. I, I guess the iguana had been gone already. Yeah. No, the dispatcher was doing it textbook style and like getting, at, trying to get everyone there as fast as possible. And then, you know, because you know when these calls come in, no matter what it is, we got to take it at its highest priority. You know, sometimes sure. you got people who who are calling in. Also, those that are like frequent callers that call in that are just kind of having, you know, uh, emotional or mental issues or whatever. Mm. It'll be that one time that you don't, you know, might not take it seriously. And it's something that's really happening. So yeah, the, the person telling the story was very uh, direct and everything on what they were doing, but also not understanding the, the, the person who was calling in, because some of the stuff, there's a little more to the story, but I can't think of all the pieces. But yeah. that was the main thing was that it was an iguana. Um, but yeah, strange things like that, like that. Another Imagine Listening open mic session was, you know, it was, it was a dispatcher who was um, in training and was helping a person. Uh, they were delivering their baby. And the only person there to help them was a cousin and uh, <laughs> was giving the instructions and uh, because the, the cousin's like, I can see it. I can see it hanging out of her. Uh, and and he ends up giving, you know, the phone to the person who is in labor. The dispatcher is that she's asking, you know, the mom to be just lay down. I need your cousin to look and see, you know, further. And she's like, no, he's my cousin. I'm not going to let him look at me down there. <laughs> and, and, and she's like, I know. She's like, but we, we need to do this. And so EMS ends up getting out there. She is so excited that she's going to get a stork pin because, you know, a lot of dispatch centers do that. If you help deliver a child hmm. over the phone, you're part of like the stork club and you get one of those pins. Well, the supervisor ends up calling to check on the baby. And it turns out that what it was was the placenta is what was coming out, not the baby. And so the dispatcher starts laughing and she goes, so I didn't get a pin because they don't, they don't give out a placenta pin. <laughs> And that one, that one was out of North Carolina. It was the funniest thing because she just kept saying, I didn't get a pin. They don't yeah. give out placenta pins. So, you know, I got screwed on that call because they don't give one out. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think they should have, like, you know, I mean, come on, you know, you're, you're taking the call, you know, give, give, give the woman a damn stork pin, but anyhow, <laughs> that, that, that's just, that's just me. Uh, as we, as we wrap up here, I, I definitely want to talk about the I am 911 movement. You're the mm-hmm. founder of that. Tell our audience a little bit about how that got started and sure. what that's all about. Yeah. So, um, 2016, uh, back in August, uh, they're both the there's there are two big uh, 911 organizations, and they were both trying to get 911 dispatchers and call takers reclassified, because uh, right now the Office of Management and Budget, the classification for dispatchers and call takers falls under the uh, clerical class. So we're under there, you know, with administrative assistance and and all of that. So they were trying to reclassify to be added to the um, to the protective class with all of you know public safety, um, because there's there are other things that end up coming with that, not just recognition, but also, um, you know, later on, you know, there could be things with salary or retirement sure. or even, um, you know, training, you know, training funds, all different types of things. So they were trying to do that. Um, from what I saw, there wasn't a lot of awareness that was being brought out. You know, they were putting out some different things. I'd been telling stories already for a long time. So I thought, why not insert myself sure. <laughs> into this battle? So. What I wanted to do was I wanted to give a raw look into what it's like to take a phone call. And, but, but a glimpse, a glimpse and a raw look. So I created a meme. It was just a little piece of a, of a call that I had taken. And uh, the meme, it, it show, it's, 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 midnight, or it's nighttime and there's a full moon. And on it, it says, I heard your last breath uh, the night you flipped your four-wheeler. And then underneath, hashtag I am 911. And I did it that way almost as another form of communication because I'm probably never going to meet those people that I spoke to that night. But if they were ever to see that, it's like me saying, I was there with you. That night, I was there with you. I took that call. I was there throughout that entire call with you. And I asked dispatchers to do the same thing, to raise awareness for this reclassification, but it quickly turned into peer support as well. So... Dispatcher started sharing all of these stories. So this was August 24th, 2016. That weekend, hashtag I am 911 was trending at number three on Twitter. Um, the, um, the whole engagement during that time when I had started this, it ended up hitting like 40 million on Facebook. And it just, it spread. So in the UK, they were sharing stories for I am 999, Australia, I am 00, and New Zealand, I am 111. It was like the entire thin gold line, all these dispatchers and call takers came together and we're sharing all of these stories. And even to date, we're still answering and sharing stories from September of 2016, because that's how many of those stories came in. So it was, it's a form of peer support, but it's also, um, it was a way to raise awareness for that reclassification. Wow. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, it actually sounds like we need to come up with a whole new episode just on the I am 911 movement. Um, but that's, that's incredible. I, I, I'm really pleased and uh, in, in pleased isn't the strong enough word to, to have you talk about the, the thin gold line 
Uh, we, you know, we talk a lot about the thin blue line in the POC way and, and obviously the thin red line for our, our firefighters, but I, I don't think we talk enough about the thin gold line and, and how that is, is just, if you see those flags and most of the audience know exactly what I'm talking about, yeah, you, you, you don't discount that color and that line on that flag because it's just as important as the other ones out there for sure so, well on that note um before i start getting emotional over here <laughs> and, I, and i didn't even do your job and it's starting to hit me um yeah most important question is how can the audience find you? How can they find uh, within the trenches? How can they find uh, any information on the I am 911 movement or, or anything else that you're doing? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so you can go to uh, within the trenches.net and um, actually there's a, there's a, another page that I built on there. It's within the trenches.net slash biz card and that's B I Z card. Um, that will take you to all of my links. They're all listed there. Um, cause you know, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts, um, as well as, uh, on, on YouTube, social media. Um, I do live broadcasts on uh, every Thursday at 9 PM Eastern time, uh, open mic where dispatchers come on and they share all their funny stories in the comments and I read them out loud and it gets crazy sometimes. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff that I'm doing, uh, especially with within the trenches media, um, doing virtual events as well. You know, COVID stopped a yeah. lot of the conferences. So um, I ended up coming out with the Dare to Be Great conference and I've been doing virtual conferences ever since. So, um, but that one within trenches.net slash biz card will take you to everything. Perfect. Thank you for having me on, man. This was great. Hey, no problem. Hey, it was great having you on. It was my pleasure. Um, we probably could easily go for another half hour to an hour, but, uh, but you got other stuff to do, uh, <laughs> but I, but I, but I reserve the right to bring you back at any time. And I, I'm and all I about think, it. and did I, did I earn the right to call you rich or Richie, or do I have to stay with the Ricardo? Dude, you can call me rich or Richie. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, rich, Richie, Ricardo, whoever you would like to identify with in terms of a name. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. It, it was really insightful. Thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. And thank you to all of you who have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we will be back with you next week with another great guest. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.